Let me ask you, are you someone with hair? Well, if you answered yes to that question, do I have the product for you? Visit ModernMammals.com and use code MAYO for 10% off because the goal with Modern Mammals is to try and keep your hair and head natural. Since I've been using it, that's exactly what I've experienced. I very much prefer it. I don't know if I'm ever going to switch back. Probably not, to tell you the truth. And this means that it doesn't distort your pH balance and natural oils like shampoo would. Unlike shampoo, the products don't have a harsh detergent that suds up and dries out your head and hair. It's just lighter than traditional shampoo. And unlike conditioners, it doesn't leave hair limp and frizzy. Like, you don't want that Seinfeld in the shower like Rory McIlroy had it once too, where it's just like a, a mop on your head. You don't want that. And if you use modern mammals, that's not going to happen. It's designed to make your hair feel thicker. And my hair at the moment feels so thick, you can't even pull it out. Plus, the products are easy to rinse out, so there's no leftover residue to weigh hair down. So, Go to ModernMammals.com and use code MAYO for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code MAYO. Don't forget to use my promo code MAYO so they know I sent you. More details in the description. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings, the Monday dual show with PGA going on this week. First up, we got the waiver wire pickup power rankings and injuries and running back snap shares. You can find the link to my column in the description of this podcast. Also, the final PGA event of 2020, Mayakoba Golf Classic. Become a member at FantasyNational.com right now to get your stats, to get your tools, to get your research on. You know you want to play a lot this week for Mayakoba. You might as well have the best information possible fantasynational.com slash mayo get you 20% off and if you do the weekly that brings you down to eight bucks I think you're gonna be playing more than eight bucks on DraftKings this week let alone the betting market if you are a golf listener out there we'll have our full show DraftKings breakdown and bets on Wednesday on the Pat Mayo experience but we have some cool shows coming out over the Christmas holiday break before we get into the 2021 season with tournament of champions and Sony Open plus You didn't hear it from me, but there is a big announcement coming regarding me and recording golf, which could potentially involve all of you as well. So you might want to tune into some of those Christmas-style shows uh, where we do a draft, we'll preview the majors. We had a lot of fun stuff coming up, but there is one huge announcement on the horizon involving the Pat Mayo experience and involving the golf world. So hopefully you can get on board with that. All you audio listeners out there, do me a solid please and go to YouTube if you have a Gmail account and go subscribe to mayo media network we're in a push to get 20,000 subs by the end of 2020 we're almost there we need like 2400 more so if you haven't done that please it takes like five seconds it helps out the show and since you're listening anyway and you're probably on your iphone at least that's what the demographics tell me scroll to the bottom rate the pat mayo experience five stars if you've never left an audio review you can just say something like hey i like this podcast boom five stars you should listen to just something easy like that uh, or if you want to spend more time on it that would be greatly appreciated but the rate and reviews go a long way to helping people find this podcast so we got football on the docket up 
up first. Then we have the first look for Mayakoba. Also, the Fantasy Challenge game is out right now. You can listen to the preview show up on the feed or watch the video up on Mayo Media Network. But you can find the link to join the free Fantasy League in the description over there. It's my favorite show to watch on a reoccurring basis. One of the few shows I actually watch in real time. My wife and I highly enjoy it. Gets us you know break from the kids and we get to relive our youth because we're not young anymore and we're not interesting anymore. I need to see people go on TV, get into fights, drink too much, and have sex with each other. It's fan fucking fantastic. You'd enjoy the challenge if you watch it. Give it a chance. So you can check all of that out. Plus, I'm going to be running some re-watches of an old season, The Duel, on the challenge on Mayo Media Network. So I'd highly recommend you go check that out as well. Sit back, enjoy the information, have a great week, all right? Let's get to it. Let's talk about injuries to kick things off at the running back position. Not a lot to do. And Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins are out this week. I'm expecting they'll be able to return for week three. 13. I'm not 100% sure on that, uh, but it does reflect why Gus Edwards is a bit down in the pickup power rankings, actually behind J.K. Dobbins. We've seen a few players, uh, whether it be like West, Russell, Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook in basketball, Ezekiel Elliott this year too, guys that have contracted COVID. Uh, some of them do not come back at 100% or at least something is affecting their play. Maybe it's just you know a very small sample and bad fortune has fallen upon these guys. It's a bad situation. They just did and perform but there could be something to it so maybe jk dobbins isn't like a smash lock pickup when he comes back i would still have him over other every other ravens running back moving forward presuming he comes back for week 13 james connor is going to be out for week 12 this is a bit more precarious of a situation for him moving forward, not really sure how long he's going to be out for. If you don't know the backstory of James Conner, he's overcome cancer in the past. Uh, he is at a very high degree of a health risk, especially for something like COVID-19. So hopefully everything is going to be good with James Conner, but you might want to go grab Benny Snell if you haven't already. I'm not convinced that Benny Snell is going to be like the ultimate Pittsburgh running back where he plays 90% of the snaps. But Jalen Samuels is also going to be out for week 12. Not sure when he's coming back, but you might get a higher degree of Anthony McFarlane in the game if Connor actually misses extended time. It would be Snell for me as the pickup, someone you should go pick up just in case he does evolve into being the bell cow back with Connor out in the Pittsburgh backfield. It's a role that you want to have on your fantasy team. I'm just not, you know, a lot. It's, it's almost like the Brian Hill situation from this week. Yeah, Brian Hill played 50% of the snaps. If you had told me he'd get 15 touches coming into the game, I'd be like, sign me up. That's why I signed up. He wasn't good. Basically, Judge Ito passed him throughout the course of the game. It's funny with the Atlanta backfield where all year it was like, hey, Brian Hill is the receiving back. Todd Gurley is the guy who's going to get the ball on the ground. Brian Hill must be a pretty good receiver if that's how they're using him over using Todd Gurley. Turns out it's just a role in the Falcons offense. Brian Hill gets moved up one chair to the Todd Gurley role. All of a sudden, Ito Smith catching passes out of the backfield. Brian Hill, one target, and it was a force target that wasn't even close to going with him. So I believe it was in the two-minute drill at the end of the first half. So it's just not, the Falcons' backfield's a disaster. You play Gurley if you have him, but he's still not that great of an option. If he doesn't score a touchdown, kind of useless, not going to lie to you. 
The bigger injuries resulting from Week 13, the biggest one, Josh Jacobs, is dealing with an ankle injury. It looks like he's avoided a high ankle sprain. Uh, They say it's not as serious as maybe they once thought initially. It it looked worse than it is, is what they're saying. That's no guarantee that he plays in Week 13. So, Devonta Booker, go pick him up. Jalen Richard also missed Week 13. So this could be a situation where Devonta Booker gets an extreme amount of run in Week 13, and probably someone you're going to have as a top 15 running back for the week if there is no Josh Jacobs. The issue is going to be we're likely not going to know the extent of the Jacobs injury by the time that waiver passes. If you've been watching this show for the past few weeks, we've been talking about Devontae Booker a lot, that he would be a huge benefactor should anything happen to Josh Jacobs. Now something has happened to Josh Jacobs, so presumably you already have him on your team. That would be the forward head looking move here. The forward head. That's that's pretty stupid. Either way, <clears throat> the forward looking move in this situation. But He's, he's a plug-and-play back. There are so few, When we go over the snap report, there are so few running backs that are going to garner over 70% of the snap share anyway that you're probably going to want to have some of these guys. Booker would be that guy should Josh Jacobs miss the game. And I wouldn't say go blow all of your budget on him because uh, it might just be a one-week one absence, if it's at all. But this could be a situation where you know, they're under-reporting how severe this ankle injury is. I'd make a bid on him. Uh, and it, listen, I'd give you a percentage amount of fab or a number on fab, but I don't know how your league works, what your budget it is and how frankly it really depends at this time of year how much money that your league mates have left of what you should probably bid if everyone has a whole bunch of money and they're going to go after him you probably just avoid him just throwing a little bid hopefully that no one else notices at the same time if you're you know way above everyone else in terms of fab budget and they literally cannot afford to bid anymore just outbid them and go get them it, if you it's not only if, if you need him this week it's if your opponents might need him for the fantasy playoffs because uh, this is going to be week one of the fantasy playoffs for some leagues not good leagues mind you but some leagues uh, that you just want to do it as a block that makes sense uh philip Lindsay exited the game with an ankle injury after he started he didn't start the game he was taking a lot of uh royce freeman started the game technically at quarterback for the broncos i would expect the quarterbacks for the Broncos to return a week from now if they all have negative tests which it seems like Drew Locke did he was just uh in close exposure in close proximity to someone who did test positive for COVID-19 so he was ineligible to play this week so if he's back uh, that's just a bump up for Melvin Gordon uh going into next week not that I love Melvin Gordon but if he's going to get all the touches again it's it's not like I love Devontae Booker but we're just mining touches at this point of the season we're just trying to hold on and scrape through the fantasy playoffs and maybe one of these Bronies can get us to a fantasy championship. Todd Gurley did not play. Went over the Atlanta situation. Jonathan Taylor was placed on the COVID list, did not play. He's questionable for week 13, so we'll see whether he comes back or not. Naheem Hines got the extreme amount of run over Jordan Wilkins against the Titans in week 12, and that was way before they fell way behind in that game. So if you just think, well, of course Naheem Hines played more than Jordan Wilkins. They were down by a whole bunch and in passing situations. Now, that did contribute to the extreme 70-30 split that we saw between Hines and, Hines and Wilkins, but Naheem Hines was the one primarily carrying the ball on the ground at the outside of that game, too. So it would be, at least right now, and this switches every single week, Hines definitely over Wilkins in this circumstance. Uh, Selvin Ahmed and Miles Gaskin both did not play in Week 13. Gaskin was very close to playing. He was the last second inactive. You want nothing to do with the rest of the Miami running backs, as we saw. If you can't do it against the Jets, who are you doing it against? But if Gaskin comes back next week, which I do expect him to play, 
he's a play. You just got to play a workhorse guy like that. We'll see if if Ahmed's back as well, that there's some sort of split. I wouldn't imagine that there's going to be. Maybe Gaskin doesn't get a 75% like he was getting earlier in the year in terms of snap share, but 60-40 at worst would presumably seem to be the case for me. Kalen Balazs also missed the Bills game, allowing Austin Eckler to just return to Austin Eckler role. I would imagine Balaj, if he does return, gets a little bit of run because they were still very uncomfortable using Austin Eckler near the goal line. That was a role that Joshua Kelly played most of the time for the Chargers against the Bills. Not sure why you would take a... There was a end zone package where they took Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler off the field. Like you're trying to score points here, the Chargers. Why take off your two best offensive players? I know you want to run the jumbo set, but at the same time, uh, you think you'd want to keep your skill guys, the actual talented ones on the field. If you're looking to score some touchdowns, just a thought. That's just a thought that I have. I I know that these thoughts don't go through Anthony Lynn's head, as we saw by his tremendous coaching decisions on Sunday against the Bills. So it's Eckler's just going to have the role that he once had, 60%, 65% of the snaps, but he ran more routes than any running back in Week 12. You can use him as a top-10 running back with confidence going forward as long as he's healthy, and by the looks of Sunday, he's pretty healthy. DeAndre Swift missed Thanksgiving uh, as a result of the concussion he sustained the week before. I'd expect him back and to take over his role once again in Week 13. Tevin Coleman missed the game in Week 13. Both Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert did return, so he probably don't even need to roster Coleman, only as a handcuff. It's a pretty bad handcuff, to tell you the truth, because that's a split backfield as it is anyway. Jamichael Hasty still on injured reserve with his broken collarbone for the 49ers. Uh, LaMichael Pirine on injured reserve. Joe Mixon on injured reserve. Justin Jackson could be activated from from injured reserve for the Chargers this week, but we'll see how his knee is doing. David Johnson, ditto. Uh, he's still dealing with that concussion on injured reserve. We'll see what his status is moving forward. We'll get updates throughout the week. Devonta Freeman uh, could have a chance to return, but eh, you, you don't want Devonta Freeman anyway. Running back pickups for the week. I have Latavius Murray at number one in the pickup power rankings because there's really, I mean, if we knew that Jacobs was going to miss substantial time, it would most definitely be Devontae Booker, who I have at number two. But as long as Taysom Hill is the running back for the Saints, Latavius Murray is getting substantial run here. I'm not saying that he is a better running back fantasy wise than Elvin Kamara is right at the moment, but it's pretty close. Because Kamara's not getting these checkdown passes that really sustained his floor week to week to week. This is turning really into like an Aaron Jones situation for Kamara, where you can't not play him because he has substantial upside when he gets the ball, but the snap shares just aren't looking good. Like I said, we'll get to those in a minute. So Latavius Murray, Devonta Booker, Damian Harris, James White, J.K. Dobbins, Benny Snell, Gus Edwards, Cam Akers, Frank Gore, and Jamal Williams. I'd be all in on Akers if I knew that he was going to touch the ball, but this is still a three-way split. No matter how good he seems to look in any random game or on any random series they do just swing back the other way so if you are really interested in a three-headed monster at running back with bye weeks running out only carolina and tampa bay on bye this time around then what are we doing here like that doesn't matter at this point you're not going to be playing this guy unless you play in the deepest of leagues you should have your running back situation a bit more set i'd rather roll the dice on the brian hills of the world although that didn't work out um or whether if Gio had missed the game last week of the Samaje P. Ryan, rather than rolling the dice on one of three running backs who may or may not have a good game anyway, that's a tough spot to be in. You at least want to try to isolate the touches a little bit uh, rather than someone who's just going to get pilfered all the way down the list. Wide res- or sorry, the snap shares are, let's see here, the leaders in snap shares for the week, above 70% running backs in week 12. James Robinson, 97% of the snaps against Cleveland in week 12. David Montgomery, 86%. Melvin Gordon, 81%. Giovanni Bernard, 76%. Austin Eckler, 73%. Duke Johnson, 
72%. The other ones above 60, Antonio Gibson, Naheem Hines, Derrick Henry, Damian Harris, Ezekiel Elliott, Wayne Gallman, Dalvin Cook, and Nick Chubb, and Zach Moss. Moss, while not doing a ton in that game, uh, did do the 60-40 split with Devin Singletary. The biggest one for me, I've been riding J.D. McKissick for a while. It does seem like the tides have turned for him just a little bit. Maybe it's because Washington has actually jumped out to a lead in some of these games that they don't need to go to their checkdown master a whole lot. I think that his usage is really going to be game flow dependent. So you might want to look at the spreads going into each week before you start using J.D. McKissick once again. But the advancement of Antonio Gibson in the receiving game, seven targets on Thanksgiving Day, that's probably more of an anomaly than anything else. But it does showcase that they do want to use Antonio Gibson more. That He was a fine running back start anyway. This just elevates him up the list a little bit, but it severely hurts the fantasy impact that J.D. McKissick can have. Because when he was piling up 10-plus targets every week, you could play him every single week in any sort of format, standard leagues even. But if he's only going to run 40% of the snaps and see his target market share drop down to single digits, he's not worth playing. Just as simple as that. He doesn't have enough upside to justify that little usage. Now, if they somehow end up as 10-point dogs in a game, and you know that they're probably going to get waxed pretty from the outset pretty early on, then J.D. McKissick actually does have a role in that game. So you have to pick and choose your spots with that. I wouldn't expect to see so much Peyton Barber on a regular basis unless Washington is actually blowing out opponents, which does anyone expect them to do? No, would be the answer to that question. Other just contentious ones, Frank Gore, uh, you played 57% of the snaps. That's always fun. Fournette played 55% to Ronald Jones's 36 for unknown reasons. Ronald Jones looked really good against the Chiefs. Fournette looked god-awful. Yet, let's keep using Leonard Fournette. That's a sensible move in this situation. In the Dolphins' backfield, uh, I guess if Gaskin and Ahmed don't come back, this split was DeAndre Washington, 47%. Matt Breda, 34%. Lynn Bowden finally got on the field, 22% of the snaps. Uh, In that Rams' backfield, Akers did come on a bit later in the game and actually saw the majority of touches in the final quarter, when they lost, by the way. Malcolm Brown, 41%. Daryl Henderson, 33%. Cam Akers, 26%. But it started out one way and then flipped uh, as the course of the game went through. The other ones in the Niners' backfield, this is why you can't trust the Niners' backfield. Colonel Mostart, 40%. Jeff Wilson, 34%. Jarek, 26%. These guys just aren't involved enough in the game to actually do... Mossert would be the only one you could play because it seems like, you know, he can break off the big one. He's the most explosive of these guys. So you're playing for efficiency when it comes to Raheem Mossert. But it's not like the Niners are any great shakes. Their defense is good, but their offense kind of putrid. And we're, again, in a split situation backfield. Never the case you want to be in. For the Saints, Alvin Kamara did play 48% of the snaps. Latavius Murray played 48% of the snaps. But the biggest difference is Taysom Hill is rushing so much that he's just taking away touches from both of them on the ground. I wouldn't expect to see as much running against every other team as we saw against the Broncos because why do you need to throw in that game but it's the goal line touchdowns that Taysom Hill keeps taking for himself which is having kind of a Josh Allen effect on the Saints running backs like we saw with the Bills running backs all season long and last year these guys can pile up yardage they can get their touches they can play 65% of the snaps but when Josh Allen is your best goal line back and he's actually gonna run the ball then the other guys don't have that much value now do they um, probably the last we've seen of Mike Davis, Rodney Smith, hot Rodney, actually got himself somewhat involved. Christian McCaffrey should be available to return after Carolina's bye week in week 13. Wide receiver injuries in week 
12 and moving forward. Uh, Willie Sneed uh, contracted COVID. He is out on Tuesday for the Ravens. DJ Moore exited the game at the very end with an ankle injury. Carolina does go on by, but that is something to monitor over the course of the next week in case you forget about it. Uh, let's see. Zacchaeus hurt his toe. He left the game for the Falcons. Julio obviously also did not play in that game. Maybe we'll get Julio next week. Maybe not these hamstring. And uh, he was pushing to play. That doesn't mean anything at the same time. He didn't play. It's a hamstring injury. It looked bad against the Saints. And these hamstring injuries, he said, it's been automatic one week almost every single week. And it's usually at least two. So keep an eye on Julio. Uh, Christian Blake was the one who filled in for Zacchaeus midway through that game uh, after he ended up leaving. DJ Chark and Chris Conley both missed the game for the Jags. If one of them comes back, it probably sends Colin Johnson to the bench. Colin Johnson looked pretty good for a rook. Uh, Led the team in receiving against the Browns this week with Mike Glennon at quarterback. Larry Fitzgerald and Trent Sherfield missed the game against the Patriots for the Cardinals. They're both on the COVID-19 list. Uh, Adam Thielen had COVID. He didn't play. Danny Amendola uh, missed the game as did Kenny Galladay, both with hip injuries. Maybe they can return this week. We'll see about that. Adam Humphrey still has not cleared concussion protocol. Uh, until he does, he's going to be extremely unlikely to play for the Titans. John Brown placed on injured reserve with a high ankle sprain. He will not play for the next three weeks. Randall Cobb on injured reserve. Preston Williams on injured reserve. And Jules Edelman also on injured reserve. Don't expect to see them for some time. The actual pickups at the wide receiver position this week, not much really changed changes uh, than anything uh, it was not a good game for Michael Pittman whatsoever but he did garner the most targets I know T.Y. Hilton had the season high in receiving yardage and scored a touchdown but Pittman would be the Colts receiver that I want um, maybe Rivers can be somewhat accurate next week I have him at number one Alan Lazard at number two Cole Beasley at number three Corey Davis at number four, Denzel Mimze at number five. Uh, I was in, I mean, I played Crowder, so it was not good news for me, but it was encouraging to see Mims even in a bad matchup on the outside against the Dolphins do a lot of work over the middle to get himself open, move around a lot. That it does seem like they're really trying to make Denzel Mims a thing. Now, Darnold hasn't thrown a touchdown since September, so I don't know what the upside is on any of these guys, but the A dot is off the charts. He's going to have a really big game before the end of the season once he sneaks behind these defenses. So these guys, Pittman and Lazard, you could probably play every week as a wide receiver three flex play. They're not the best wide receiver or flex play, but it depends on the size of your league. Beasley and Davis are just very solid every single week. Uh, they're not going to get you zeros, and Mims is more of an upside play. Other than that, it's like Tim Patrick, Demir Bird, the same random losers we see on the waiver wire every week. You should probably have your team in week 13 sorted out by now but again you can check the updated ranking should any more information come up on dkplaybook.com you can find that link in the description it'll be updated like i said monday evening and tuesday evening to reflect the games that happen any new injuries which may occur uh, and you can just go look at all of the lists yourself if you want to go check that out also if you're watching this video on youtube please subscribe to mayo media network and smash that like button always helping out tight ends injuries for the week mark andrews contracted covid another situation probably i mean maybe it is as dire i'm i'm no etymologist i think that's what that is i'm no doctor put it that way i don't understand the old healths but i do know that my uh, mark andrews suffers from diabetes diabetes has been shown in correlation with covid19 is something you really don't want to have so his recovery may take a little bit longer uh, than some other people if he comes back at all if the ravens lose on tuesday evening and it's getting pretty dire for them and making the playoffs they can still definitely make the playoffs if they lose 
teams that are right in that mix with Cleveland, with Miami, um, with Las Vegas, uh, just randomly losing at Atlanta at the same time. So uh, it's hopefully it gets better soon, but that is a situation to monitor moving forward with Mark Andrews based on his previous health history. Uh, it's not a great situation for him. Irv Smith Jr. did not play against the Panthers. He could return in week 14 or week 13 if he doesn't. He was a season high in targets for Kyle Rudolph. He's not a great option, but which tight ends are great options? Very few. Uh, Zach Ertz, doubtful to play. Monday evening, Greg Olson's still going to be out at least three weeks, probably more like five or six weeks with his foot injury. George Kittle still on injured reserve for the pickups. At tight end, Logan Thomas, Jordan Reed, Robert Tunyon, Trey Burton, Dalton Schultz, Jimmy Graham, Walt Disley, and Eric Ebron. Thomas is the one that you really want to go get. I saw that Mike Gesicki actually passed the threshold. I know he caught a touchdown, but I'd much rather have Logan Thomas the rest of the season. He's an actual part of this offense where Gesicki is a part of the offense once every three weeks. Not great. Uh, Logan Thomas at least seems to have a floor of like eight points every week, which you cannot say about most tight ends. Quarterback injuries, obviously no Lamar Jackson on Tuesday night. I'm not sure whether he'll be eligible or not to play in week 13. I'm imagining he will. Uh, but if not, Robert Griffin in week 13 would actually make a decent pickup. We'll see. He's not probably going to look very good against the Steelers, but no one really looks good against the Steelers. So it's not a very good gauge of how to assess someone as a streaming quarterback. It's just like Derek Carr. Derek Carr had a horrendous game against the Falcons. It doesn't mean you shouldn't play him against the Jets. It's still the Jets. Like guys have rebound games. You can't just judge someone off one week when they've been pretty consistent most of the season. Uh, Daniel Jones exited the game with a hamstring injury. He did come back in for one play, couldn't cut it. I would expect him to be out with the hamstring problem in week 13. I'm guessing that means we're going to see some Colt McCoy action guessing drew lock should be back for week 13 Tua doubtful to play with this thumb injury it seems to be like the same thing that Gardner Minshew has at the moment maybe it is not severe so we'll see on updates throughout the course of the week for Tua Nick Foles questionable to play in week 13 after missing the game uh, Kyle Allen Gardner Minshew both questionable for week 13 wouldn't expect them to go either so we get some more Mike Glennon in our lives along with I think Alex Smith is just going to be the starter the rest of the season I can probably take Kyle Allen out of the injury report at this point Garoppolo Andrew Breeze still both on injured reserve uh, Jimmy Garoppolo could return doesn't seem like that's going to happen at the moment for streaming quarterbacks for week 13 I got the cuz Kirk Cousins versus Jacksonville at home. Could be a big Dalvin Cook game, but at the same time, Cousin did throw three touchdowns against the Panthers. He hasn't been horrendous. Like people like to people like to body bag Kirk Cousins at every turn. He's not great, but he's not bad either. And if Thielen comes back, if Irv Smith comes back, all of a sudden they have their full complement of weapons again. It's against Jacksonville. Their entire defense is on injured reserve. Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, in another revenge game against like 90% of the league he has played for at this point. So it's all revenge games for Fitzmagic. He's at home against Cincinnati. Derek Carr at the Jets. Baker Mayfield at Tennessee. Mitch Trubisky at home against Detroit, presuming he plays. Detroit, the one team that Mitch Trubisky looks good against, and even fantasy-wise against the Packers. Like, real life, he was god-awful. But fantasy-wise, he scored like 23 points or something like that through three touchdowns. And he generally does put up multiple scores against the Lions. Robert Griffin against Dallas, if he goes, uh, that's a really good matchup, by the way. So if he can go and he does have some of these weapons back, they might just run all over Dallas, but Robert Griffin's going to get involved in that running if there is no Lamar Jackson. And then Colt McCoy and or Daniel Jones uh, against Seattle. It's a last-ditch effort if you're really hurting. Uh, maybe in a two-quarterback league, you have to go pick him up. Those would be my streaming options for the week.
Once again, you can check out the article on DK Playbook, link in the description. Smash the like and sub to Mayo Media Network YouTube channel. But I have a list of all the streaming defenses up there right now. For the week, I got the Bears, who were heavily dropped against the Packers, but now they're at home against Detroit. Good matchup. San Francisco against Buffalo. The Raiders against the Jets. Seattle against the Giants. If you if you can stomach it, uh, it could be a pretty good matchup. The Chargers uh, at home against New England and the Lions at Chicago. Week, f- uh, You can check out the rest of them. So I have the week 14, the week 15, and the week 16 but the overall week 14 to week 16 playoff rankings i had them all listed and i mean most of these defenses you can't go picked up they're already picked up we talked about the browns for weeks uh they're above the threshold now but i do have them in the rankings for overall playoff defenses you can even see the matchups i have some of them struck through as not good matchups for example what are we looking at here like houston weirdly enough i have ranked at number nine they get at chicago good matchup at indy not a good matchup then at home against cincinnati Good matchup. So two of those three weeks, the Texans are widely available right now for one thing. And if as long as you just have another defense to use in week 15 instead of at Indy, you can probably use Houston over that time. So the overall playoff pickups, Pittsburgh, the Rams, Cleveland, the Ravens, the Bucks, the 49ers, the Chargers, the Saints, Houston, and Arizona. Uh, now, New Orleans does get Kansas City in week 15 as well. Not a good matchup, but sandwiched on the, as the bread of the outside of the Kansas City matchup at Philadelphia at home against Minnesota. Two pretty good matchups. The sneaky one to consider, I think, I mean, Seattle goes Jets, Washington, and the Rams. Uh, and they have a pretty decent matchup this week against the Giants. Their defense just isn't good, so that's the issue. But teams are, are going to be throwing on them. If you can get you know, lightning in a bottle with the Seahawks, uh, they're still available to pick up if people didn't pick them up against Philadelphia for the Monday night game. So you can just go add them in some leagues without even using a waiver wire pickup uh, if you're in a deep league and all the other good defenses are gone. You can just put them on your roster and see how they do. Maybe they look a little bit better now that they're getting a little bit healthier, but they should face Boku pass attempts against, and that's what we're looking for. Get some pressures, maybe some picks, maybe you return something to the house. We're good to go. Kansas City is the one I like. At Miami, at New Orleans, against Atlanta. Now, New Orleans doesn't seem like a good matchup, but here's the rub. Because Kansas City's offense is so good, they, as we saw against Tampa Bay, now Tampa Bay ended up putting up some points against them because Kansas City's defense is not the best, but where they can put the opposition into suboptimal situations and force them into throwing. If Taysom Hill is still starting at that point, that could be the first time we see Taysom Hill have to throw more than 30 times in that game if KC jumps up to like a 14 to nothing lead. Then all of a sudden you got Taysom Hill dropping back a bunch uh yeah sign me up for that so that one's more dependent in week 15 but i don't hate that matchup uh and just their ability to score so many points and force teams to throw against them plus their pass rush is pretty good that they can be opportunistic in these sorts of matchups so when you're looking to mine fantasy value at the defense position especially amongst available options right now uh it would be like houston kansas city seattle tennessee also gets jacksonville the lions the packers are not a good matchup weeks 14 and 15 that's not terrible arizona gets the giants philadelphia and san francisco not bad either but san francisco i guess would probably be the most available one washington dallas and arizona their defense continues to come on they scheme really well and they're still generating a bunch of pressure people just think because bosa isn't there that they're no good that has not been the case whatsoever the niners defense is pretty legit at this point but teams can just run the ball against them which you don't want to see i mean not successfully run the ball against them but where the niners offense is not great that they don't generate a lot of pass attempts against so hopefully they can jump up in this game and force teams into the air then they can really go attack that would be an optimal situation for the 49ers defense options for the week
Once again, you can check out the article on DK Playbook, link in the description. Smash the like and sub to Mayo Media Network YouTube channel. But I have a list of all the streaming defenses up there right now. For the week, I got the Bears, who were heavily dropped against the Packers, but now they're at home against Detroit. Good matchup. San Francisco against Buffalo. The Raiders against the Jets. Seattle against the Giants. If you if you can stomach it, uh, it could be a pretty good matchup. The Chargers uh, at home against New England and the Lions at Chicago. Week, f- uh, You can check out the rest of them. So I have the week 14, the week 15, and the week 16 but the overall week 14 to week 16 playoff rankings i had them all listed and i mean most of these defenses you can't go picked up they're already picked up we talked about the browns for weeks uh they're above the threshold now but i do have them in the rankings for overall playoff defenses you can even see the matchups uh, i have some of them struck through as not good matchups for example what are we looking at here like houston weirdly enough i have ranked at number nine they get at chicago good matchup at indy not a good matchup then at home against cincinnati Good matchup. So two of those three weeks, the Texans are widely available right now for one thing. And if as long as you just have another defense to use in week 15 instead of at Indy, you can probably use Houston over that time. So the overall playoff pickups, Pittsburgh, the Rams, Cleveland, the Ravens, the Bucks, the 49ers, the Chargers, the Saints, Houston, and Arizona. Uh, now, New Orleans does get Kansas City in week 15 as well. Not a good matchup, but sandwiched on the, as the bread of the outside of the Kansas City matchup at Philadelphia at home against Minnesota. Two pretty good matchups. The sneaky one to consider, I think, I mean, Seattle goes Jets, Washington, and the Rams. Uh, and they have a pretty decent matchup this week against the Giants. Their defense just isn't good, so that's the issue. But teams are, are going to be throwing on them. If you can get you know, lightning in a bottle with the Seahawks, uh, they're still available to pick up if people didn't pick them up against Philadelphia for the Monday night game. So you can just go add them in some leagues without even using a waiver wire pickup. Uh, if you're in a deep league and all the other good defenses are gone, you can just put them on your roster and see how they do. Maybe they look a little bit better now that they're getting a little bit healthier, but they should face Boku pass attempts against, and that's what we're looking for. Get some pressures, maybe some picks, maybe you return something to the house. We're good to go. Kansas City is the one I like. At Miami, at New Orleans, against Atlanta. Now, New Orleans doesn't seem like a good matchup, but here's the rub. Because Kansas City's offense is so good, they, as we saw against Tampa Bay, now Tampa Bay ended up putting up some points against them because Kansas City's defense is not the best, but where they can put the opposition into suboptimal situations and force them into throwing. If Taysom Hill is still starting at that point, that could be the first time we see Taysom Hill have to throw more than 30 times in that game if Casey jumps up to like a 14 to nothing lead. Then all of a sudden you got Taysom Hill driving dropping back a bunch. Uh, yeah, sign me up for that. So that one's more dependent in week 15, but I don't hate that matchup uh, and just their ability to score so many points and force teams to throw against them. Plus their pass rush is pretty good that they can be opportunistic in these sorts of matchups. So when you're looking to mine fantasy value at the defense position, especially amongst available options right now, uh, it would be like Houston, Kansas City, Seattle, Tennessee also gets Jacksonville, the Lions, the Packers are not a good matchup. Weeks 14 and 15, that's not terrible. Arizona gets the Giants, Philadelphia, and San Francisco. Not bad either, but San Francisco, I guess, would probably be the most available one. Washington, Dallas, and Arizona, their defense continues to come on. They scheme really well, and they're still generating a bunch of pressure. People just think, because Bosa isn't there, that they're no good. That has not been the case whatsoever. The Niners' defense is pretty legit at this point, but... Teams can just run the ball against them, which you don't want to see. I mean, not successfully run the ball against them, but where the Niners' offense is not great, that they don't generate a lot of pass attempts against. So hopefully they can jump up in this game and force teams into the air. Then they can really go attack. That would be an optimal situation for the 49ers' defense. Twenty. 
Mayakoba Golf Classic. First look, research, and opening betting odds. If you're looking for the full DraftKings and betting show, that'll be coming out on Wednesday on Mayo Media Network. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you're watching it on Mayo Media Network. If you are not subscribed to Mayo Media Network, I suggest you do that right now. Also, smash the like button for the video and give me your winner in the comment section. All of my cheat sheet up later on in the week on DKPlaybook.com. And as always, with this being the final PGA event of the 2020 calendar year, head on over to FantasyNational.com for a discount. Let's say you're just playing, I mean, it's the last event of the year. You probably want to go all in on this one. Probably not. But if you are expecting to play more than, I don't know, 10 bucks between DraftKings and gambling, uh, FantasyNational.com slash Mayo gets you 20% off. So if you get the weekly membership to all the stats, all the tools you'll get full access it's going to cost you eight bucks uh, i would recommend that you go do that now additionally i have a gigantic announcement coming about golf in general involving me and maybe even some of you as well uh, it's going to be good news for everyone we're going to be doing some holiday season golf content before the new season starts we did the draft last year that was a whole lot of fun maybe we'll do some strategy shows for DraftKings golf maybe gambling golf maybe one and done and maybe we'll just talk about all the majors and all of our favorite players there's a ton of golf content coming out as football begins to wean down a little bit from the day-to-day ground we can get ahead of the game and i will have this very special announcement so Please stay tuned for that. I promise it's very exciting. You're probably going to want to do that. Let's jump into this right now, though. We're back at the, I mean, it used to be called the OHL Mayakoba. That's how we have it listed to make it easily searchable on Fantasy National. But it's a Mayakoba Golf Classic. Um, Big field. Uh, We have better names than we normally. It's not like a stacked field by any means. But versus the actual Mayakoba every single year. It's not so bad. So let's take a quick look into the field to begin with. The opening betting odds care of DraftKings Sportsbook. You'll see the two big favorites at the top, uh, JT and Brooks. The biggest crossover course I just... You should know this if you're betting or doing anything on Mayakoba. The Sony Open is the very clear one. Two of the past three years, they've got back-to-back winners of this event. So Kazire won this uh, three years ago uh, in the fall. Then he instantly won the Sony Open as soon as the new year started. Cooch did the same thing. Did not happen last year. Brennan Todd won this event a year ago. But Justin Thomas has a Sony Open. When he shot a 59 at YLI in the past, he opens at plus 650, so six and a half to one. Brooks is 12 to one. After that, you have your other, just a cluster of favorites. Harris English is just playing so well. He's 16 to one. Finau, Answer, Berger, Henley, Victor Hovland, Ricky Fowler, Corey Connors are all in between 16 to one and 30 to one. Actually, I lied. Corey Connors is 35 to one, the same as Joaquin Neiman and Will Zalatoros. This is a really good field for Mayakoba. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me in a way, only because... It's the final event of the year. So as we saw because of the COVID restrictions and in 2020, that piling up some of these FedEx Cup points could get you all the way to East League and that guaranteed money right away. So you might as well take some shots on this. It's in Mexico. It's at El Camelian course, but it's a resort course. And it's like actually on the resort where the players are likely to stay. So, well, it might, I mean... Well, if you leave the U.S. to get away from COVID cases to Mexico, it's actually work it's worse in Mexico right now. But on the resort where the course is going to be and where you're going to stay, I'm pretty sure they can set up a pretty good bubble for the players and their families. So it does make sense. Go to Mexico. It's a final event. Then take a vacation afterwards if you want to. Uh, and it's a situation where we're seeing a much better 
talent-wise tournament than we've seen in years past at El Chameleon. So I'm excited for this. And if we go deeper into the odds, Grio is playing really well. Horschel and Charles Howell III, Brian Harmon, all at 45 and 50 to 1. Uh, the number I like the most just initially is right here. Mark Leishman, 60 to 1. Um, if you think that he's back, which may or may not be the case, but he played really well at Augusta, uh, this is a perfect course for him. Uh, he's won on the Paz Paslum, pa, pa, Pathlum <laughs> greens in the past. He enjoys himself a shootout from time to time. He's just a good player. And he's better than most of the people in this range. That doesn't mean he's going to win. doesn't even mean he's going to contend. But he's played well at Wiley in years previous as well. So 60 to 1 on him. I've seen him as low as 45 in some places. If you can grab this 60, it's available to you in your area. I'd highly recommend that if you're going to take a play on Leishman, you try to find this number. I've seen it at 45. I've seen it at 49 and now it's 60 on DraftKings Sportsbook and some other places as well. So if you do believe that it has returned for me, he's over his injury, or wherever the hell it was going on with Mark Leishman, it's a really good number for him. Munoz is 66. You got Keegs. Uh, he fits the narrative of the 34-year-old winner, which we've seen here a whole bunch in the past. Uh, also another player who's done really well at Wiley in seasons previous as well. He's 71. Then you got like Kazire, former winner, Adam Long. I believe he, Adam Long is just a good player in general. Uh, he's 70 to 1. Piercy Streelman, Harold Varner, Woodland's still hurt, I think. Reeve actually rates out the best in strokes gain total over the past 12 rounds at YLI. He's 70 to 1. Sabatini, Russell Knox has a very good course history. We'll dig into that in a minute. And then you got someone like Byun Hun An at 111 to 1. I did not think I'd see the day. The Gim Reaper, my guy, that's like an auto bet at 125 to 1. Uh, hopefully we can find some players to switch over to as we go through this. Um, it's going to be a really difficult week. It really depends on what you want to do at the top. I'm far more, if I was going to bet the top of the board, Harris English is just playing so well that maybe you just rolled the dice on him, but I'd be far more inclined to go Justin Thomas over Brooks at this course. I'm not quite sure what Brooks is doing here. DJ had originally committed to this, but, you know, he went to the Masters and then, you know, he's too big for Mayakoba. Makes a lot of sense to me, actually. But with Brooks, maybe he's just trying to get his footing back, back underneath of him. Maybe he's looking to gain some FedEx Cup points heading into the new year. The guy likes the Mondays, so that would go part and parcel with this. Just where Justin Thomas uh, has experience at winning at the Sony Open, that his game could translate pretty well over to this. Let's head on over to FantasyNational.com right now and kind of dig in just a little bit. Uh, if we just take a look at the past course conditions and the course breakdown, along with the recent results, in the tournament history. There's just the first four tabs to go look at. I have it set to pass 24 rounds right now. There's no shot length this week, which kind of sucks. If we just take a look at the top, just sort by strokes gain total, just as the only stat we look at, the top 10 in the field, JT, Russell Henley, Peter Malnati, Doug Gim, Harris English, Brooks Kepka, Corey Connors, Tony Finau, Will Zalatoris, and Cameron Tringali. After that, my guy, Seb Straka, who rallied to make the cut for me at RSM. Had a good week at RSM. Had a few, it was sub 1% 6 of 6, and I actually had a whole bunch of them. Not as good of a week as having so many 6 of 6s versus the field should have resulted in, but... You know, here we are. I didn't have Kisner, and I didn't have Streb. I had guys like Seb Straka, who just actually made the cut. Varner and Neiman as well was another one where they just couldn't get it going to the fullest extent. Uh, historic course conditions. This is, a, this is a birdie fest. Let's be real here. Uh, it, it's easy. It's on Pass Paslum Greens. Uh, Pass Palum Greens. I, I have to learn how to say that right. Um, you know, it's 
difficult-ish to hit fairways. It's average to difficult. That doesn't really make a difference because the rough is so short. Uh, it's a par 71. It's just over 7,000 yards. Uh, so you're going to have scorable par 5s, a few short par 4s as well. So it's an easy course if you want to hit up your mixed condition model and punch that in. Uh, ah, Moose has cleaned up the... Uh, course breakdown page we were getting duplicates for whatever reason now with our partnership with the pga tour and shot link over at fantasynational.com we get the just the actual good stuff here if we sort by rank as you can see uh, you're better off uh, starting guys on hole one than you are on hole 10 uh, as you get the hole 10 the seventh the 14th and the third most difficult this is for showdown purposes by the way if you're looking to play showdown this week it's going to be a bit more difficult without shot link data from the course uh, to really kind of jump on top of it but if you're just playing just you know, the extra two percent of trying to find an advantage in showdown guys that start on the back nine uh, are un- more unlikely to it's more unfavorable to get a birdie streak out of the gate as you can see with the third hardest hole being number 12 and then the fourth hardest hole being number 18 one and two being five and six so that wraparound you're not going to find anything on the scorecard for but if you start on number one you get the chance of say you get the chance of seven eight and nine which you would either way but if you went eight nine ten uh nine and ten are you know on the plus side of being difficult but they're not super duper they play just over par you can see that uh nine and ten a 15 percent birdie rate um number 10 has an 12 percent birdie rate with 11 having a 28 percent birdie rate on the shorter drivable par four some guys will be able to drive it others won't and it's not a drivable eagle hole as you can see with only a 0.2 percent eagle rate but if you can get into nine 9, 10, 11, that could be a birdie streak. 8, 9, 10 could be a birdie streak. 9, 10, 11. Uh, so you're not going to have that opportunity because uh, then you're just straight into hole number 12 if you start on the back nine. So I'd be trying to target, I mean, target good players in showdown who make birdies anyway. You're still going to need your guys to play well. But with all things being equal, if you're looking for a way to potentially get an extra birdie streak out of that versus the field, guys starting on hole one versus hole 10 appears to have a slightly better chance of doing that right now let's just take a look at the eagle rates on these holes so number 13 and number five reachable in two a 3.5 percent eagle rate and a 2.9 percent eagle rate um and after that the the third par five number seven not a ton of eagles made there and even on the shorter par fours a very low eagle percentage on the 360 yard par four 11th but it is a very high birdie percentage hole um and two of the par threes incredibly easy uh, it's not something you really see from a lot 116 yard par three is number four 30 percent eagle rate uh, and number eight is a 23% birdie rate. Uh, there's a 151 yard. After that, if we just look at overall ranking of holes, you'll see that one, two, three, four, the four hardest holes are the four longest par fours on the course. There's only four par fours over 450 yards. All four of those, the four most difficult holes on the course. Uh, it's par fours across the board. The par threes are really easy at El Chameleon. As we said, no shot link data really to go through at all. Like, and when I say not really, like there is none. Um, so if you make your bones on your par fours, I would add 450 plus um, into the stat modeling if we're going to do that just because of the most difficult holes. You can even just see as the way that it breaks down, uh, there's four of those. It's pretty even across the board. Maybe you can get tricky and go 350 to 400 if you're looking at your custom modeling as well. Uh, just to see which players do well on the really short 
par fours. But honestly, uh, proximity from 100 to 150 appears to be a pretty good number here because that's where a lot of those numbers are going to come in if guys lay up on the 400-yard par fours in the ones even just a little bit longer with 300-yard drives. And you're looking at holes that are 338, sorry, 438, 428. It could be easy to get into range on those as well. So wedges at this course, there's no real distinct advantage between driving distance and the shorter hitters. When you, when you have winners such as Brendan Todd, the champion last year, Matt Kuchar, and even Patton Kazire, Johnny, uh-huh? I can't remember if it was at this course or if it was before. I think it was 2012 that he ended up winning uh, in one of the crossover events. Did he win or did he come in second to Robert Allenby? can never remember these things. Uh, green regulation percentage, you know, almost 68% scrambling, almost 60%, well above tour average. We look at the historic cut line. Last year will really tell the tale of the tape, uh, mainly because we had the new cut rules in place last year with top 65 and ties. It was at even. Uh, it was minus three the year before that. Even, minus one, minus one, minus two. So expect it to be below par this year, especially in a stronger field. Uh, if we look at the tournament history... For the course, if we just take a glance back at last year, you see Brendan Todd, you have Ortiz, who you know, played pretty well with Von Taylor and Adam Long coming in second place. This is just accounting for the players that are in the field this year. So if you see like a weird gap in, it's because those players are not in the field this time around. Uh, Harris English was fifth a year ago. I, I believe he won this tournament before. Don't quote me on that. Let's go take a look here. Like I said, it makes it easier to search when it's OHL. Yeah, he won in 2013, came fifth last year. Disaster in between, but has he won Sony too? Is he one of those other crossover people? No, but he has three top tens at Sony's in the past. So that's a decent way to go look at it. We'll run a corresponding correlation between those here in a minute after we kind of go back through the field. Of the top names that we're looking for here, if we just look at overall strokes gain total over the past five years, Pat Perez has won here and has an additional top, two top tens the past two years. Uh, he is second in the course history strokes gain total metric. Someone like Russell Knox had three top tens before his T33. He's actually playing a little bit better coming into action here. Grio is a really interesting one just because he's playing so well. Uh, I want to take a look at Revy as well. Danny Lee is actually withdrawn. That happened just before I started the recording for this. So that will be reflected on the field once the DraftKings pricing comes out. Russell Knox continues to gain on approach. Can't make a putt to save his life. But two top 20s before the miscut at the RSM. And remember where there's only shot link for one of the courses at RSM. If you made the cut you would have three rounds of data but where he missed the cut he only has one round of data still almost gained a stroke t to green gained both off the t and an approach interesting play i think he's going to be relatively popular this week um looking at it just off the outset uh, you can see 33rd ninth third second in his past four starts never missed the cut that guy's going to be popular depending on what the pricing is i'm betting it's probably like 8100 i haven't seen the pricing yet but that would be my initial take from it grio he actually gained putting at RSM, but just even to watch him on Sunday, you're like, oh, he's in it, he's in it. Oh, no, he's out of it because he's Emiliano Grillo and he flubbed a chip and then he missed a two-foot putt. That's his pure, just watching him, he was in contention at one point. He had an eight-foot putt for birdie and then he three-putted for bogey. Like that is essentially summing up what Grio does. However, in 18th at the RSM, you know the ball striking is always going to be good. The last time he lost strokes on approaches when he miscut at Memorial before that was at Honda 
back in March. So you know the approach is going to be really good. His lack of distance isn't going to be an issue here. And at a birdie maker's course, this is where you kind of want him. He's never missed the cut in four starts, 41st, 15th, 9th, and 10th in his four starts. Another guy who's going to be relatively popular, but I think it depends on how the pricing actually unfolds in this circumstance, mainly because if you pay for Justin Thomas and maybe one of the other high-end guys, even Harris English, like starting that way, if you can find the appropriate low-end guys, actually does make some sense to me. But then you're going to miss out on that entire pack. So do you go balanced uh, and take guys with less win equity, a better higher percent chance to make the cut versus the six guys overall where you have the two super studs in your lineup that can presumably go win this tournament, but then you're rolling the dice and cut equity at the very bottom. It's an interesting scenario to go through. Shez is actually playing a lot better than I would have thought. The guy cannot putt to save his life, but gained a stroke on approach at RSM in his one round, missing the cut. Um, game 3.1 at Shriners, but putted himself out of the tournament. Has a really good history at Sony. Let's see how he's done OHL over the years. And never missed the cut. 26, 26, 14th, 4th, and 74th. And at Sony, missed cut. 3rd, 18th, 8th, 24th. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be betting that loser, Shez Reevy. What's he coming in in the odds here? Shez Reevy, 75 to 1. Take my money now, Shez Reevy. I'm going to be in on that. Of course I am. I can't help myself when it comes down to some of these guys. Maybe I can uh, unearth some other guys, too. He's played really poorly at this tournament. It's funny. Hoffman's missed the cut five straight years, but he has the win right before that. Uh, hard to see where his game is at right now. Of guys that, like, I mean, Lucas has the T7 and four missed cuts surrounding it. Mark Hubba Hubbard. You know, a 58th, a 70th, and a miscut. Not great in that circumstance. You think Connor would be better? Connors would be better here because he plays really well at Sony. Some guys just don't have the eye for it. Harmon makes the cut here every single year, but does not finish highly at all. Even Munoz in the midst. This is after his win a year ago, but still doesn't have very decent finishes. Scott Harrington, you know, he's a lock to be like in contention for first round leader, and then will flirt with the cut line and after the second round. Good showdown guy, Scott Harrington. I'm curious what his. I'm going to go search that. What's Scott Harrington past 24 rounds overall? Scott Harrington is 87th in strokes gain total. If we separate that by first round only, curious to see all of a sudden where Scott Harrington pops up on this list. Sorry, this is a vanity project for me and Scott Harrington, but I want to see if it's just me remembering something that isn't real or if the stats actually do say oh yeah he actually does play really well in the first round versus all of his other rounds if this would finally load that would be nice take a look at the odds i like gim i gotta i want to go dig into byunhan and to see where he is up to austin cook had been playing really well before that too and then keegan would just kind of be the other ones why is this not loading that's there we go harrington Harrington first round only at yeah, 45th. So he's it's much better than his overall because you have to figure that his first round totals are being factored into his first round totals overall. Harris English, actually the best first round player in the field over the past 24 rounds. I wonder who overall over the past 24 is just the best. Harris English, Justin Thomas, Varner, Answer, Tringali, Henley, Todd, Berger, Finau. Cameron Percy, a better first-round player. Chase Seifert, a better first-round player than just their overall baseline. I don't know if there's any way that you can really look at that and be like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm gleaning a lot from that. But at the same time, you know, it's such a small sample to begin with that, you know, if someone's going to, like Scott Harrington, is going to be 87th in this field overall in total rounds, but inside the top 45 in just first round, again, the first round is factored into that. So he's just a disaster after the first round. 
What was I going to go look up? Strokes gain total, strokes gain T to green over the past. Oh, strokes gain T to green over the past 24 rounds. Keegan is actually number one. Huh. So I said I wanted to look him up. I wanted to look up Byun-Hun Ann. And then we can take a look at our guy, the Gim Reaper. He, I feel like you know, he's 11th T to green over the past 24 rounds. The Gim Reaper, 18th, 14th, 23rd, miscut 14th so far during the swing season. Couldn't get the putter going, although this is the first time he had lost um, on around the green in a while. He lost off the tee significantly and lost strokes putting. Could be, I, mean, I don't think in our community at least, I don't think that Doug Gim is going to be sneaking up on anyway. He's a very popular play. At the same time, this, it's a way that you can go back and kind of look at this a little bit. Did he play OHL last year? He did not. Did he play Sony? He missed the cut at Sony. But I do believe in the baseline talent for Doug Gim. I'm curious to see where his pricing ends up coming in. Ben Ann, OHL in the past, played it once, missed the cut in 2017. Sony Open has not played it. The approach has been lights out. The around the green game has been lights out. Of course, he sucks on the green, but... His results can be somewhat misleading. As you've seen, he played the Masters, he played the Zozo, he played the CJ Cup in his past three starts. Um, that was against elite fields. He missed the cut at Shriners and Sanderson, which, you know, you give him a pass on those. That was a while ago now. That was back in the beginning of October. We're now almost two months removed from that. But his results don't necessarily mesh up exactly with the fields he's been. I don't know if I'm going to get on to Beyond Hanan, but they, it's interesting to see his odds are really that deep. Oh, man, if Keegan could putt, this the story of one career. RSM gained three strokes off the tee in three rounds, um, three rounds that are weighted, four on approach, and then lost more than that putting. But encouraging to see. He has some decent pop. Every time he plays against a weaker field, Houston excluded fourth at Sanderson, fifth uh, at RSM. How has he been here over the years? A 15th, an eighth, and a missed cut. Not bad. Sony, 12th, 29th, 39th. All right. Keeks, make some putts. Let's get on the go here. We know he gives himself ample birdie opportunities, so that'll be curious to see. Um, overall, strokes gain total over the past six events. Henley, Justin Thomas, Connors, Brooks, Harris English, Piercy, Straka. All these guys have not missed a cut over that time frame. Neither is Joaquin Neiman, neither is Patton Kazire. Other than that, let's see, Tringali, Gim. Carlos Ortiz, Brian Gay, just based off the, the strength of one win at Bermuda. I for, I totally forgot that he had won looking into it. Johnny, huh? I'll probably end up on Johnny, huh, when all is said and done. Oh, Raza's boy, Aaron Wise. Kiradesh had the one great putting performance. Munoz has just been playing well, though he did miss the cut at RSM at very chalky ownership. Finally get Zalatoris back. He hasn't played since Bermuda in the T16 when he secured his card uh, in special temporary exemption for the upcoming for this season. So he can continue to add on to that. So just kind of interesting to go back and look and see who's been in good form uh, using FantasyNational.com. If we just kind of do a very micro version, sometimes I like to take a look at this and just see who's been hot over their past two events. So over the past eight rounds total on the PGA Tour. You can click on the Corn Ferry stuff if you want to, but I don't think it's all that relevant. Although this would be one of the courses that kind of jibes with the Corn Ferry Tour, just because it's a hit and giggle. Uh, it's going to be very low scoring. Sometimes when you see a lot of PGA Tour grinders in the mix, you're going to get into a situation 
where sometimes, you know, they played the U.S. Open or they played the Masters or one of these more difficult events against very top-level competition where the strategy is just a little bit different because the courses are harder. Very rarely, if you get into a birdie fest, sometimes guys who've played exclusively on the Corn Ferry Tour where you can get up to minus 20, minus 24, that mentality gets baked into you. And sometimes it's difficult for the Corn Ferry players who jump to the PGA Tour when you start getting a bit more difficult conditions that you just can't fire at every pin. This is a tournament where you can go fire at every single pin. So maybe that mentality, because it could have a little bit where the Corn Ferry Tour and getting graduates, you know, you're not seeing a lot of them in this field, uh, that, that probably wouldn't have much relevancy moving forward for this year. But as we get back into the regular flow of things, God forbid, that is something to keep in the back of your mind moving forward. Over the past eight rounds um, coming into this, Kazire is popping, Tringali is popping, you see Gim up there, Chesson Hadley all of a sudden back inside the top 10 in strokes gain total over the past eight rounds. Roger Sloan playing pretty well. Johnny, uh, Ollie Schneider Jans, who would, does not have the good course history at this course, but playing well over that time period as well. Peter Malnati, my guy, couldn't get it going on the weekend at RSM. This feels like a course where he should be really good, but I guess it really depends on his putter. Chesson Hadley, 23rd at RSM, 16th at Bermuda. All, I mean, RSM was all on the strength of his putter. Uh, OHL missed the cut here in 2013. Sony Open for him. Miscut, miscut. So probably going to be looking at old Chesson Hadley. Have we seen Malnati? We're hitting the ball. He's kind of all over the place. OHL, 58th. Eh, two top tens ages ago for Malnati. Nothing good recently. Uh, Sony is hit or miss. Miscut, 12th. Miscut, 27th. I kind of do like where his iron game is at right now. If he can catch that hot putter, he's actually quite a good player. Lebiota, 31st. Austin Cook, 23rd. Probably should take a look at Answer and Cook just to see how they've done recently. Cook couldn't get it going at RSM at all. Before that, a 24th and a second based on good ball striking. This is just from one round for Austin Cook. So maybe not a terrible way. Terrible option to go back through. Has not played this course well. Was 18th at Sony, though, in 2018. I take a look at Heritage, too. Miscut, miscut, 50th. Uh, that's the other one that kind of crosses over a little bit. They're all kind of coastal courses, so that would be a one determining factor. Uh, been bad on approach for answer. He did have the really good Masters, though. I'm not sure whether that was putting because I don't have the strokes gain data for Augusta, but was good, you know, good at Shriners, lost on approach. Good at CJ Cup, lost at approach. Decent at Zozo, lost on approach. That would start to worry me a little bit, but talent-wise, he's kind of a class above. At the same time, you get into a situation where when you're doing this for like a, the hometown crew uh, being the top Mexican in the field, he and Ortiz really, and sometimes that there is added pressure when it comes down to, I see it, I used to see it all the time when the Canadian Open used to be a thing where uh, just you get the extra pressure worked out, maybe because there's no fans at this event. Let's see, Maya Coba, great at the top is what my notes tell me from Maya Coba. I don't know why I'm just so split in the weird, I must have built this a few few years ago. Pretty opportunities gained. Birdies are better gained. And let's just load her up and see what happens here in terms of the modeling for the OHL. I'm guessing, before I take a look at it, I'm going to take a guess at Harris English, Russell Henley, Justin Thomas, Doug Gim, Russell Knox. I'm going to guess that's my top five for this event. Wonder how that's going to end up coming through. It's still loading in right now. I can't believe this is the end of the golf season. I'm actually excited to do the off season content. Maybe get back to a regular flow here. Like I said, I have a huge announcement coming uh, that will affect. 
probably starting at the Sony Open uh, for the season. If you are looking for the cheat sheet for DraftKings, I will have that up on DKPlaybook.com later in the week. There's also other events with the South African Open. Spoiler alert, my guy Sky sent me a DM a little bit earlier on today about the South African Open. And what did he say? I already bet this jabroni, who I'd never heard of before. Let's see. Sky tells me Austin Batista, 350 to 1 at the South African Open. I made that play. I played it with the top five each way. Uh, Austin Batista in his last five starts on like the, um, the, the Muni tours of South Africa. Second win, 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 win. And uh, posted a course record, 61. He's averaged 67.1 over those rounds. And this is from the Monday Q Info on Twitter. Um, he's the hottest mini tour player in the States, and he's getting a random start over in South Africa. 350 to 1. I've made worse on longer odds. So let's go. Jose Bautista. Sorry, Austin Bautista. That's the play. There's also the uh, the first leg of the Middle Eastern swing on the European tour. The guys over at FTNDaily.com, uh, Drew and Sky and Axis, are going to have that covered in full over there. So I highly recommend you go check those guys out. I'm not really going to be touching it all that much from a content perspective, but uh, they definitely are. And listen, you know, money's money. Odds are odds. If you can get some wins out of that over there, highly suggest those guys. FTNDaily.com. All of my PGA DraftKings pivots column for free at FTNDaily.com com a little bit later on all right past 24 rounds the stats have loaded connors keegan verner finau brooks wow not what i was expecting thomas griot zelatoris henley gim hovland streelman okay now yeah, we're cooking with fire here a little bit they told me it was really good at the top so maybe i do go with keegan's gonna have to be a bit what were keegan's odds keegs 70 to 1 all right if you say so stat model well, we'll get the simulator going after the uh, the pricing has been released on DraftKings. That's what it's tied to. I don't know what to do with guys like Berger, who we haven't seen in a while. Uh, Harris English, only 17th. I find that really surprising. Who was I going to look up? I was going to look up Shez. Shez is 28th, 6th in approach, 2nd in opportunities gained. I like to look at opportunities gained just to see, especially in a tournament like this where birdies are going to be at a premium. You have to make as many as possible. You know, Thomas, no big, no big shocker there. Reeve, Stanley, Hoagie, Keegan Bradley, Griot, Cook, Varner, Duffner. My guy, Duffner. Good God, I'm going to get sucked into stupid Duffner again and Brooks Kepka are the top 10 in opportunities gained oh Wes Bryan shout out Wes Bryan third in approach and 13th in opportunities gained over that time very curious to see what the pricing is uh, I, I'm wondering how expensive they're going to make Harris English this week 10-4 maybe Russell Henley will probably be above 10,000 as well if that means I have to go a lineup of like Use Justin Thomas at the top. Revy will probably be pretty cheap. Use him. Use Keegan if he's like 7,600. Shez, Knox, and Doug Gim. Could that be a lineup? I don't know if the pricing works out on all of that. Malnati is top 25 in opportunities gained, as is Gim. Don't know. I'm just going to full fade Woodland until I see that he's healthy. I, I'll, I'm good with being late on him. Um, but at the same time, this should be a course that really works to his advantage. It's just I don't know what's going on with him. Let's go back to just overall strokes gain, and we're going to sort by Sony Open, and then we're going to sort by both of them combined just to see what kind of spits everything out. I, I just use YLI in particular because we actually have strokes gain data from that course, and we just we've seen common winners in the past. It would be smart to go take an 
alternate look at that. So let's sort it by past 12 rounds instead of past 24 rounds at just Wiley. Uh, you can do that over here on the left marker. If you hold down uh, command, uh, you can highlight other courses at the same time. But let's just take a peek. Past 12 rounds at Wiley. And let's, let's take putting out of it, and let's just go tee to green. And you know what? Let's just go to ball striking and see who's the best. Reevy, Thomas, Streelman, Grio. How has Streelman been recently? Grio, Keegan. Oh, God. I'm going to get sucked into these losers. Leishman, who I did bet. So I'll probably end up using Leishman uh, and roll the dice. I'd rather roll the dice on a Leishman comeback than a Woodland Health thing uh, if I'm going to go between names that are undervalued this week. Berger, Todd, Piercy, out DJ Trahan, okay. Charles Howell the third, Neiman Sabatini. Neiman only has the four rounds. Homa only has the six rounds. Norin only has four rounds of data there. I don't even know what, what year that's from. It's probably last year, if I had to guess. Yeah, 2020. Played all four rounds. How has Streelman been? Not great. Third at Safeway, and after that, kind of hit or miss. Classic Kevin Streelman stuff. When he putts well, he tends to do okay. When he putts poorly, he sucks. Same thing for a lot of golfers. Howell is up there as well. How has Howell been doing? He was riding a really hot putter for a while. But let's see, a hot putter for a while, but did make the cut at the Masters, made the cut at RSM, did well off the tee, decent on approach over those three rounds, at least at the seaside course. It was not good in terms of short game, but he had some pop performances here. He's someone who can get the putter rolling, but he has just played the Sony Open so well over the course of his career. Um, who is way behind in ball striking? That's any good. Was Brian, Ryan Gibson, who's the add to the field, Kadira, Hubbard, Gim, although that's only in two rounds, so you take that with a grain of salt. You know, I'm, I'm going to say throw out you know, the bad stats when they, when they do not favor guys that I like uh, and take them when it's a small sample of guys I do like. You know, when you're talking about your own biases, that's how I have to look at it. Uh, let's throw in El Chameleon, and we'll just look at strokes gain total because that's the only thing that's really going to play too much of a factor when we combine the courses. So like I said, hit command, go to El Chameleon, click off of it, and we'll load in both. Into the system here, as you can see on the left-hand side. Strokes gain total past 15 rounds between the two courses. Let's see. Howell, Vaughn Taylor, Bo Hogg, Carlos Ortiz, Damon. Let's spread the sample to past 24 rounds now that we're looking at two courses. See if that gives us a little bit of a larger sample. So... Strokes gain total. Thomas, Reevy, Howell, Leishman, Knox, top three. Grio, Woodland, Perez, Hogg, Bryce Garnett. Bryce Garnett on this putting surface. That's like his jam, as I kind of recall. Um, the Caribbean places. Let's see how he's done at OHL in the past. 11th, 5th, 25th, 7th, 6th. All right. Course history guy was 21st at Bermuda not too long ago. Missed the cut at RSM. You get to Bermuda, you get a 21st out of it. Uh, every now and again, uh, Bryce Garnett plays shorter courses a little bit better as well. 17th at Heritage, 11th at Honda, 21st at Bermuda. He'll be in the $6,000 region if you're looking to fill out your roster. Uh, four straight missed cuts for Pat Perez. Congratulations. And he withdrew from Bermuda despite the fact that he had made the cut, but he had finished the day before. That was really wonky, as I recall. Other guys that pop up, Stumanji, Charles, or uh, Graham McDowell, always a coastal guy, Ricky Fowler. Oh, wow, something positive for Ricky Fowler. Good for you, pal. Snedeker withdrew, so don't mind him. Todd Father, Adam Long, Billy Horschel. Let's see, Mad McNeely, Brennan Grace, Brian Gay, Zing Zuzang. Not how you pronounce his name, but far more fun to say it that way. All right, 
I think that that's pretty good for us. That'll do it for the first look for the OHL. As you just hear me, you know, have my train of thought out loud of when I start doing my research. I'll dig in a little bit more and I'll have the full show coming out on Wednesday on Mayo Media Network YouTube channel. If you have not subscribed to that, please do go subscribe right now. Also smash the like and leave your winner in the comment section. Become a member at fantasynational.com, fantasynational.com slash mayo. Get you the discount and subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Would you? Please, it would really help me out. And we got the big announcement, plus all the Christmas time golf shows. Let's try to win a big one here. I've been awful betting-wise throughout the swing season. Hopefully I can get one to give me some momentum heading into the new year. It only takes one to get you on the go. That's how we were coming out of COVID. Then we've gotten cold. Ever, basically ever since Morikawa won the PGA Championship. It's just been a disaster for me. Although Wolf and Cam Smith, the two other majors, really do, with their top eight, really did help me out big time in sustaining my bankroll. But I am down, basically, since the... PGA Championship, and we'll see how we do at the end of the year. Maybe coming, maybe if uh, Batista hits at 350 to one, you know, I can get to the positives for the swing season. It would take a 350 to one to do that for me at this point. But I'll be back with the full show later on the week. Be well. Hope you enjoyed. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. Pat Mayo experience. Experience.